existence In existence, join the resistance Come on, let's start by talking tactics Have a pass and match this Here's how we practice Hey everybody, welcome to Pop Culture Continuum, this is John Elliott, this is Patrick Riccardi, and we have uh, Steve Marcus, yeah, returning guest, uh, Mr. Hello. Pop Culture, Steve Marcus. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and this week... I thought it was Captain Pop Culture. Oh, sorry, I demoted <laughs> him. Commander, yeah. Uh, this week we are doing, this was a, uh, a Steve idea, so everybody uh, find him on Twitter and blame him if this episode is no good. Um... The albums that got us through high school. Yeah, I was just thinking the other day, if I wanted to come back on the podcast, and I was trying to think of what um, what to talk about. And for some reason, uh, I found myself listening to a bunch of the records that I've been listening to in high school, sort of as like a life preserver that got me through. Yes. Um, and, I thought, and I thought probably you guys may have had similar experiences, so I thought this might be an interesting thing to talk about yeah I like even the, if this is a boring podcast it was fun to go back and listen to this stuff so i think mm-hmm. it's a success yeah for us yeah <laughs> don't bounce for the listener uh yeah no i i think uh looking at this list i think maybe a couple of us were very uh angsty in high school and maybe one of us was uh <laughs> kind of happy to lucky I, yeah i'm really curious to hear about your uh experience in high school pat i sort of envy it based on your um your list. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't consider it happy-go-lucky, but I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess we'll, we can talk about it when we talk about songs. But like, like Steve said, to me, some of these were like actual life preservers. Um, when there was no one around uh, who could fill the role that I needed to be filled, these albums did it. So, uh, but. I mean, I know it's, it sounds corny, kind of, when you say, like, an album saved your life, but I think I can say that that was my experience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know, I kind of feel sad for people who didn't have that. On the other hand, uh, good for them for <laughs> not needing need it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, let's, we have a lot should, of, yeah? Yeah, should we give context? Like, okay, so I went to, an, I, I grew up in San Jose, I went to an all-boys Catholic high school um, when it was spun to me. It was because that was the better academic experience. But recently, I was talking to my mom, and she was like, "Oh, well, you were being bullied quite a bit in middle school. I don't know if you remember." And so she thought I was going to get eaten alive in the public school system. And and um, I didn't. I guess I didn't think that that was an unusual experience to be. It wasn't dramatically bullied, but it was like you know, fairly constantly made fun of for all of my perceived failures and fashion sense and uh, demeanor. <laughs> <laughs> just don't like the look of my face and I don't know what, but, it's just, <laughs> but that didn't, that didn't seem to me like an unusual, it just seemed like that was middle school. Yeah, I was right? going to say, yeah, that's, that's basically maybe that just middle, is middle school. But, but uh, anyway, part of what sent me towards the, the all boys Catholic high school was that my, my mother was thinking that I wouldn't survive <laughs> public high school in quite the way that, you know, I needed to. So and, I, um, I like how she says, I don't know if you remember, but you're bullied a lot. <laughs> that was something that slipped your mind. It kind of had, I mean, I remember, good. I remember, you know, middle school being a sack of shit, but I didn't think so much about like, I personally was bullied more than anybody else. And I don't think I was, it just seems like that's what the vibe was. But anyway, well, I, yeah, um, I'm gonna, I'll go on record and say it. Middle school kids 
worse than Hitler <laughs> in general. The, the worst age of kids. When I see kids that age nowadays or I hear like one of my friends is a teacher at middle school, I'm like, oh, my God. You should get combat pay for that. Yeah, I'd never, never go back. I don't understand how you could be in that <laughs> <laughs> circumstance again. And then so my high school experience was pretty good. Like I had a, a group of friends who we weren't dramatically cool or uncool um and we kind of hung out together and muddled through and 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 it was fine but it was just sort of the probably the generic experience of being at that age and going through high school it's high drama you know um, yeah, of course yeah so um it's it's weird like in my life a lot of my closest friends uh a uh, majority of my closest friends, I would say, have been uh, Catholic school, lapsed Catholics, I guess <laughs> I would say, um, from Catholic school. Pat, you went to Catholic school as well. Did you? Was it high school? Did you go? I went to 12 years of Catholic school, yeah. Wow. That explains but, a lot. <laughs> I guess. I, I think in, in Philadelphia, for a, for a lot of time, I don't know if it's like it now, but going to Catholic school was just almost the same as public school because it wasn't super expensive and if you're in certain neighborhoods that's what you did if you're a catholic that's just how you grow up so the the, the catholic school experience was not significantly different than the public school i guess it was because you can get kicked out of catholic school and you basically can get kicked out of public school was yours uh was yours it's not like a super fancy private school it's just parochial school it's just everybody goes there that you know was yours and even the all boy as well, or was it? Uh... It was originally all boys. So freshman year, it was all boys. But then it was it was one school that had two sides. One side was girls, and one side was boys. And then when I was a sophomore, they combined the sides because my my attraction was too strong. People were trying to go through the walls. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's yeah, that sounds healthy. Separating the genders. Um, I went to. I was not a fancy lad like you guys, so I went to public school in the. Uh, Bay Area suburbs, town nobody's going to know listening to this, uh, graduated in 88. My, uh, so my, my junior high was 7th through 9th grade, and then high school was 10th through 12th. Um, and it was, uh, I don't know, it was unremarkable, my experience. But I was, I had, uh, as I talked about on this podcast before, I had uh, clinical depression from an early age. Like, I'd already been hospitalized in junior high for it um so i i was uh i was ripe to be saved by music and listen to the kind of music that i listen to i think um and uh we'll get into it more in detail right. when we talk about yeah. the songs when i was in high school I was, I was i was sick a lot and and i was mostly sad most of the time and i didn't reach for sad music when i was sad i reached for happy music which i guess explains a lot of my choices what i listen to yeah maybe some maybe some angry stuff but mostly happy go lucky like you guys said well i also felt like i mean and i i know this is like a this is a universal teenage experience um except that i've kind of carried it on to this day i always felt like i didn't fit like this world just was not made for me and my sensibility basically um so i never really felt a part of like i could get along with people fine and i was i don't know i don't know how you rate popularity i was fairly popular people like me i got along with all the different uh social cliques and stuff but uh 
but yeah, I always, I always felt like a weirdo, and uh, I think my music reflects that, too, at least, especially for the time, um, which we'll talk about when we get into. Uh, I've never heard that pronounced that way. Clique. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just a. I'm going French, dude. <laughs> that's that's public school education right there. Um, well, yeah, let's get into the the first album uh, was Steve and I both picked, uh, which I was surprised, Steve. I well, I'll tell you why I was surprised too. Um, it was REM, Life's Rich Pageant, um, because we did a whole series of REM, which you were on, and uh, at the end when. Um, Pat and I were picking our favorite albums. This, mine, objectively were Murmur and Reckoning, which I think are flawless. But this album, for some reason, was just the right time. Like I was 16, and it was angrier than those as well. Like it, this was their more rockin' album compared to the earlier stuff, um, and more overtly political, I guess, too, which appealed to me. Um, what was it? What was it for you? So it was, I, I would agree it was the time. Uh, the first record that I listened to for them was Reckoning, which I got out of the public library on a cassette tape, which sounds almost like it was a stone tablet that I, I don't know, it, it, was, a long, it was a long time ago. And, but I didn't, I didn't sink into it in the way, not, not at that time. And then the next one was Fables of the Reconstruction, which we talked about on the podcast, which I did really dive into. But that was middle school for me. So um, the, the, the REM record that sort of marked my fan appreciation for them, I guess, was, was Life's Rich Pageant. And it had, it, it kind of bridged, I mean, before in middle school, you know, I, guitar rock for me was like Brian Adams and stuff like that. So this, I can kind of see a bridge between that and this particular REM album, I guess. Yes, definitely. Like punchy. Um, yeah, well, the, the producer did uh, like John Cougar Mellencamp, right? Mm-hmm. So, which, which yeah, fit, yeah. You, you can hear. Um, yeah, uh, uh, I mean, we've talked about this album at length on the episode, but uh, and I probably brought this up, but I just remember at the time um, they had it. They had a Long's Drugs, which is like a, a CVS or something for uh, people who don't know, or a Walgreens, and uh, and they had a cassette section. I remember finding Lysrich Pageant in the cassette section at Long's, which made me happier than anything because it meant I didn't have to take a bus out to the city <laughs> to get a cool album. Um, I like the idea that you already own it, owned it, and you just wanted to buy it there just to, to, <laughs> to reward them for carrying it. Yeah, no, no, I hadn't owned it yet. It was like brand new when they had it. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. The, the one other thing, the one other thing that, that this conjured for me was, um, did you guys ever watch a TV program called Night Flight? Yes. It, yeah. By the way, it was like video videos. It was on, I think it was on the USA Network, um, and it was like four hours of videos. And it was, it was even better than when MTV first started. That there weren't any videos. So they would play strange videos because they just existed as a video. And Night Flight was later on, and would, um, what I understand about it is the producer was not. Um, the content wasn't controlled by the network in any way at all. So you would see REM like fall on me video would be on that show, for instance. Um, and just weird stuff. The IRS um, comp pat that's on your list that we're going to get to reminded me a lot of that sort of the eclectic nature of what you might maybe see on that show. I just wanted to mention, since you brought it up, uh, 
Night Flight Plus, on uh, which you can subscribe to for, I can't even remember, it's like $10 a year or something. You get all the old Night Flight episodes, like, uncut and stuff. So uh, I would recommend it if you're into that cool. kind of thing. Um, and they also have some, like, Arrow video movies, um, which is like, whoa, what the hell? Did you fall into a garbage can, Steve? <laughs> uh, I, I'm here. Can you hear okay. me? Yeah, it sounds like this is a weird echo sound going on. Oh. But I'm looking at a Night Flight's Wikipedia page, and it looks like pretty much the year I got cables when it went off the air. So that's why I never saw it. Because <laughs> I do remember the uh, USA Up All Night with Gilbert Gottfried, which apparently replaced Night Flight. And I think Night Flight might have been better. Uh, it definitely was. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried is all you need to know about that. Um, anyway, yeah, here. But this song that, uh, that we're going to listen to from. Life's Rich Pageant is a mellower song, and also I wanted to pick a song we didn't do on the original Life's Rich Pageant episode, uh, The Flowers of Guatemala, which was obviously political. Um, and uh, the reason I picked it was because, to me, this really showed the difference between... As we talked about on the R.E.M. episodes, R.E.M. was, for a ton of people, a, uh, a bridge band between like kind of classic rock and alternative um, and it's what got a lot of people into alternative. And uh, this song, I think, especially the guitar solo, which is like five notes, which I could probably learn in 30 minutes, even though I don't play guitar, is the perfect example of the difference between the old school kind of masturbatory guitar solos and uh, what R.E.M. was doing, which was a lot more tasteful. Um, anyway... Uh, I'll put the, the guitar solo in this section. Here is the Flowers of Guatemala. shared that one with Steve, uh, The Clash, the self-titled Clash album, which was uh, originally released in 1977, but not in the U.S. Uh, it was released here in the U.S. in 1979 with an altered track list, and that's the one I was most familiar with. Um, I didn't even hear the original version until at least a decade later. So um, anyway, this song, uh, this this album started for me in junior high, and um we, I was hanging out with friends, um, and one of them was an older guy in high school who drove, so he drove us around, and uh, it was like some metalheads, punks, this guy was a mod, is what he called himself, but it was kind of like 
new wave, new romantic, all that kind of stuff. And um, so it was kind of like a uh, a dumb TV show episode of what kids were like in the 80s. But that's what it was. We were all like different styles. But this was the one album we could all agree on. Um, so we listened to it just a million times while we drove around in his car. This is the only tape we, we could all agree on. And uh, I loved every song on it. And it was another one that like this was probably my transition period from heavy metal to punk uh that that just showed me you could be aggressive and loud and be smart rather than talk about getting laid all the time or or weird sci-fi shit like iron maiden was singing about or whatever um and also again no masturbatory guitar solos uh and every every song on it i thought was great uh that's that's all i've got to say you guys have any thoughts on this album this uh, so this album is also the sound of a car in motion for me too. We used to listen to it um, all the time. I, mostly, I, I remember listening to it in the car, probably driving between record stores, uh, which we did almost literally every day, uh, <laughs> because you never knew what would show up, and there was no way to know, and we had nothing to do. And <laughs> it just the the point the point of it was being in the car and listening to music loud more than the destination. So. Yes. Yeah, so it was it was this and uh, give him enough rope also for me, which um, had some of my favorite Clash Screamer songs on it. It's um, yeah, for me, give him enough ropes uh, got great songs and then some songs that are not so hot. Uh, whereas the the first album, I thought I loved everything, mm-hmm. and I will also say um, for uh, dumb kind of uh, I don't know. Uh, culturally secluded white kids in the suburbs uh, like me and and presumably you, Steve. Um, the like Police and Thieves was my first real introduction to reggae. I'm sure I'd heard some reggae before, but uh, just the way they mixed it with rock helped me appreciate reggae more too, which is not a small thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and speaking of reggae, this song that we're going to listen to has... Uh, another kind of rock reggae mashup uh this is white man in hammersmith palace my favorite uh here you go Oh, no. 
Okay, Pat, your your pick. Uh... I forget what came up before that reminded me of it, but there's something I, I should have had in my list and didn't. I just want to mention that the Dead Milkman. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, a metaphysical graffiti. Wait, what was it called? It was. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, that was constantly playing through high school. I love that CD so much. Yeah. Anyway, as a my Philly boy, you really should have had them on there, Pat. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, I, my first pick. Well, I forget. It doesn't really matter what order these are in, but uh, it was these people are nuts, which was an IRS compilation album that my brother bought and I stole at some point in high school, and. What is true of most of my choices and most of what I listened to in high school is that in grade school, I didn't listen to music at all because other kids listened to a station called 98, which was top 40 hits. And I would try to listen to it because they would tell me to listen to it and I would be cool, but I would listen to it and hate it. And then I would go to school and be super duper embarrassed that I didn't know what music was and I didn't know what everyone was listening to and I was too uncool to do it because I just didn't like anything. So it was really an eye opener. When I got into, okay, I like the stuff my brother listened to, like the classic rock stuff he had, but I didn't put that much effort into listening to it because nobody else did and it just didn't seem worth it. So when I got into high school and found stuff that I actually liked, like this album, it was it was an eye opener and it was wonderful, even though I couldn't share it with anybody because nobody cared. <laughs> um, but this this uh, these people are nuts. Have it was it was a compilation of all sorts of fun new wave stuff from the eighties. And I liked all of it. There's a there's something called Checking Out the Checkout Girl, which was just so ridiculous and repetitive and fun. And this uh Clark Kent song I guess Clark Kent is the Stuart Copeland from the police or Yeah, is that Stuart right? Copeland, no. yeah. He and he uh this was his uh nineteen eighty project. I think it was just an E P that he did. Um Yeah, and I'd forgotten about this song because I had a different Clark Kent song on a different compilation, but this this is better actually than the song I have. This was a song I always was just so stupid and funny. Yeah, because it was just like so sarcastic and it was perfect for my sense of of humor. And uh, yeah, this the whole album I like, but this was a song I especially liked. Yeah, I and think... it was just so different to have like all these songs I've never heard before, and then and stuff like Superman on there, and just because I was a. a uh, in high school, but I was still a little kid, so I just like that there's a song called Superman on there. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was, uh, I think, Stuart Copeland, you know, trying to assert some songwriting muscle, like he felt like he wasn't getting his songs on the Police album, so he wanted to do his own thing. Um, and of course, at the time, I knew about the Police, but there's nothing, all their popular songs weren't nearly as interesting as Nothing Achieving, which is on this album. And that was a much, I think, more interesting song than what you were hearing on the radio from the Police well, yeah. I guess they were broken up by them, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, and this, I mean, I think uh, it's weird. Like, S- Stuart Copeland's obviously a better musician than Sting, I think, but not he can't really match him in songwriting, um, which is why his albums or his songs weren't on the albums that much. But this song is, like, perfect. It's almost like a, a parody of New Wave, kind of. But he definitely had the feel for it more than Sting ever did. And it's just fun. I don't know. Any thoughts from you, Steve? Um, I actually couldn't find the song. I was oh, that, and sure. I obviously didn't try hard enough to uh, to go find it. But I'm looking forward to going, working my way through all the tracks on this comp. I'd heard some of them um, and liked all the ones that I'd heard. Yeah. So yeah. I'll, I'll circle back. I'm looking forward to um, discovering. Yeah, you, you should be able to this find this on collection. YouTube somewhere. This song, at least. Um, yeah, it's 
And this song's really fun. There's, and there's weird, another, like, Dare to be Fat, such a weird song, but it, it's, a, it's a pleasant memory. That whole CD's a pleasant memory when I, when I put it back in. I guess that's my favorite thing about this, this episode, is all the pleasant memories and the terrible, heartbreaking memories, but it's <laughs> nice to have them when they're far away. Sure, sure. Well, I, IRS was a really weird label, right? Because it was, it was kind of independent. That's what, like, REM was on, obviously, but they also had the Go Go's and, um, uh, it was it was run by Stuart Copeland's brother, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but uh, I thought it, I thought it was like they had they got these artists became huge before they became huge. Yeah. And then but, once they became huge, they left. Except for the Go Go's, I think that yeah, that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. So the Go Go's went. I said, go ahead. Um, yeah, but but uh, it, it, the '80s were really an interesting time musically. Like you can mock them all you want for what for the sound uh new wavy sound that people do um but like this has wall of voodoo on it too this and like when you think about it like songs like mexican radio and she blinded me with science were really weird fucking songs cars by gary newman to be on in the top 40 um anyway let's enough of my philosophizing let's listen to clark kent don't care you know I'm something it ain't easy to be. I am the neatest thing that ever did town. There isn't anything that could be me down. Don't care if you really wanna hang around. Don't care, cause I am the neatest thing in town. Don't care if you really wanna stick around. I don't care if you even wanna put me down. The girls are always trying to settle me down. They never guess I'm only fooling around. My only worry is my humility. It dampens all my heavy artillery Don't care if you really wanna hang around Don't care, cause I am the neatest thing in town Don't care if you really wanna stick around I don't care if you even wanna put me down Don't care, no, no, don't care No, no, don't care No, no, don't care Alright, Steve, uh, you're up next uh, Yes, so next up, uh, Robin Hitchcock um, the two records that were uh, that I listened to the most in high school were I Often Dream of Trains, which is a solo acoustic. I think it's all acoustic. I believe um, so, yeah. Yeah, he plays it. There's, there's more than just him and a guitar. He plays all the instruments. But um, And then Global Frogs, which I think was an Egyptian's record, so he's with the band. And Yeah, their major I, label debut, yeah. Oh, it was, okay. And um, this is the opposite of listening to a record in a moving car situation for me this is like bedroom door closed headphones yeah headphones on and just listening to it over and over and over um and there was something about his like surrealism and uh sense of humor but also a little unhinged nature of it and that it was solo was it just um was a was a mode that i was in sometimes and so i this this record sounded like um something that I had internalized without having, before I'd heard the record, then I heard the record. I'm like, Oh, that's, that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, and I realized when I was going through this list and, uh, thinking about what I listened to then and what I listen to now, um, I, at some point I realized that I don't have any feel good music. Like all of my music (laughs) is kind of feel bad. Right. I mean, it makes me feel better. But none of it is really like, let's have a good time, or isn't life great? Yeah. 
I, I feel I, I don't. I mean, maybe that I'm odd, but anytime I'm, I'm, I, I'm not aiming this at you, Pat. I'm definitely I, not. It's, no, I just I just feel like anytime I hear uh, Balloon Man, I, I I think the world would be happy if they listened to that every day. That's on uh, on Globe of Frogs, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that makes okay. me I'm, being I'm, odd. I'm overstating the 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 way that this occurred to me is we were driving around listening to Sirius XM, I think, and Cut Copy came on, and it was one of their like have a good time songs. And I have nothing against cut copy in particular like fine whatever but it was just a perfect example of something that i don't own and don't listen to it, it was like the perfect encapsulation of like oh i that's that communicates to other people but not <laughs> to me and so we came up with the premise that um there's good time steve so good time steve <laughs> but wear sunglasses and listen to cut copy and be, be um uh, you know, goes out to brunch with you and all, all that sort of stuff. And, and so I'm, I'm not good time, Steve. Anyway, Robin Hitchcock, um, uh, I still, I, so I hadn't listened to him for a few years. And when I was sifting through what I used to listen to, I rediscovered him and now I'm, I'm binging again, which is a, a fun, a fun, uh, result from the podcast here. Yeah. He, I mean, he's, I think I've said before I've seen him live more than any other artist. Um, I, I I believe the first time I saw him was at One Step Beyond in Santa Clara. Do you remember oh, yeah. that place? Oh, oh, yeah. I, I think it was '86, but it could have been '87 uh, or something. And um, I remember seeing him at the Stone in nineteen in Palo Alto in 1990 or '91 with uh, Alex Chilton opening, which was very cool because at that point I knew who Alex Chilton was thanks to the replacements. Um, but yeah, like, well, like you said, um, and like you alluded to, Steve, and like I mentioned earlier, like feeling kind of like an outsider who who didn't fit in. Robin Hitchcock was kind of the perfect artist for that because I was like, oh yeah, here's somebody more on my wavelength. Um, my my album of his was uh, the Egyptians' Element of Light was my favorite, uh, but. Mm -hmm. I often dream of trains is uh, you can't go wrong with him in the eighties. I feel like, um, I don't think, can, is there any time when you can go wrong with him? I mean, he's done some stuff that's less great than others, but he's been pretty consistent. I feel like, um, overall, uh, but yeah, let's listen to your song, Steve, which is definitely Robin Hitchcock. It is, uh, sounds great when you're dead. There's a fun live version of this on YouTube. And I like listening to it, but the first comment was was about how bad it sounded, so I might be wrong. Oh, uh, because you can always believe you should always believe YouTube should, comments, especially the <laughs> yeah, especially the negative ones. Um, yeah, let's let's give a listen. Your mother is a journalist. Your father is a creep. They make it in your bedroom when they think you're fast asleep. The scenes that they're enacting now beside your little bed are never in your consciousness but always in your head. Baby, it might sound dodgy now, but it sounds great when you're dead. Great when you're 
All right, my next one. Uh, all right, here's here's going to be the first uh, mention of my high school girlfriend, um, which I didn't only have one, but I only had really had one that I that meant anything. Um, Braggart. She was <laughs> she was uh, into the uh, electronic. So well, she played piano and keyboards, um, and she was definitely into um, synthesizer stuff. And I wasn't so much. I remember uh, <laughs> we each went to one of the other's concerts. I dragged her to Rush, which was probably <laughs> unfortunate for her. And uh, she took me to Depeche Mode, and I think in the end she was probably the winner of that. But at the time. Um, I was playing drums and I and went to see Depeche Mode and I was like, they don't even have a drummer. It's all pre-programmed. What is this bullshit? You know, I was <laughs> in being very raucous or whatever in my attitudes. Um, right, but, you went from what Neil Peart like mega drummer to no drummer <laughs> to, at all. <laughs> yeah, to uh, a bunch of keystrokes. Yeah, but uh, but this album, she got me into. It came out in '82, um, and I had weirdly heard. I remember specifically seeing the video for um don't go by yaz which wasn't even their biggest song uh but that was my only the only thing i really remember of until i i dated her and this was one of her favorite albums and this was one that drew me into electronic music more because the uh allison moyer the vocalist had actual soul she wasn't doing the whole uh human league gary newman kind of robotic singing that you heard with a lot of synth music. Um, and and I love this album, and this album has been one of my favorites ever since. And it's, it's I guess it's kind of good timey, some of it, um, although lyrically it's kind of bleak overall, but it's also got some, uh, some depressing stuff on it. Um, this one, although it's mostly upbeat, is... is pretty depressing lyrically uh and i think the vocals are great that's all that's all i have to say about this one um did you guys listen to it or have any thoughts yeah i was there i just going by the name i thought it was going to be some kind of heavy metal thing <laughs> i don't know why but i did listen to it It was interesting it was it was obviously different than i thought but even when i looked it up and saw that it was what like it's uh the genre when i listened to it it was even different than the genre it's described as so it's 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 a nice song. Yeah, I think all, most of that has to do with the vocals. Were you ever into Yaz, Steve? So I didn't. It was it was sort of ubiquitous. So I didn't own it. There's records that I liked but didn't own because it was available, like readily available, sort of. Right. Um, and I've I sort of late coming to realizing how much I love Vince Clark's like uh, keyboard. Uh, uh, his synth playing. Yes, he went on his to erase your ass this, of melody. course. Yeah. Yeah, and he was he was all over the first Depeche Mode album, which um I have to erase some of my good time, bad time Steve the uh <laughs> theory and say that I definitely have feel good songs within. So like uh the two poppiest songs on the first Depeche Mode album, I would say are meant to make people feel good and I feel good listening to them. The uh, Just Can't Get Enough and uh, oh shit, what's the other one? Anyway, two, two of the best Vince Clark songs, I think. Um, and he's all over, he, he's half of Yaz, right? Yes, so, yeah. Um, so I want to I want to go back and actually own and listen to this a lot more. Because I, I 
the sensibility's great, and she's got a great voice. Yeah, well, consider it owned, Steve. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's listen to uh, Midnight, uh, a deep cut from Yaz. Here you go. This is one that I think you probably think is like uncool, but I really liked this album at the time. Go I ahead. do too. I, yeah, I, I think one of the things that's interesting about this is it's it's much for me. It was much different than everything else I was listening to, so it was kind of shocking to me that I liked it so much. I I, I forget how I came upon owning this CD, but I just picked it up and it was one of those songs I listened to for like eight years. Every we should say what it is. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Delight World Click. And uh, it was it was huge at the time. I remember it being like a, a radio hit. And I, I just liked all the songs on it, not just the songs that were hits. And I would force people who liked other kinds of music to listen to it. And it was, I think it's kind of everybody likes it. It's one of those things. And yeah, it was it always made me happy. All, all the fun songs on it, especially the song, the Who Was That, which is the one we're going to hear, because it was so silly, which is, I'm a big fan of silly music. And in trying to figure out what CDs to pick out for this, I, I realized it more and more, because I was the other thing I was thinking of was a couple CDs that I listened to before high school. So I guess there was some stuff I found, like the Run DMC Raising Hell was something I loved, and I hadn't listened to that since high school. I didn't listen to it really in high school because it came out a couple of years before, and I, I think I was over it by the time high school started. But it's such a silly CD, but it's so awesome. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, this is a good song. I, uh, what is what are were your guys' experience with it? Well, I agree. I mean, I think I think I feel like people called it like disco, but it was really more like house music, but made poppy. Um, so it kind of crossed over. Um, and I thought that, that the instrumentation, well, or the sampling or whatever they were doing was really cool. Like they used a lot of kind of um, black exploitation sounds and stuff as well. And really cool guitar riffs they would find or create or whatever. Uh, mm. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was, you know, and it's like kind of, you know, um, secular humanism all over the lyrics and stuff. So mm -hmm. that appealed to me. And uh, it was good feel-good music which is very difficult to create i feel like i have to well, it, i yeah oh i was uh, just gonna say this was another record that was sort of ubiquitous so i didn't need to own it and um it's great it it uh there was so much thought put into creating the the the, the songs that the most popular songs in terms of like what it sounded like and what they're saying and um it wasn't it didn't feel like a a cheap schlock attempt to get on a chart it felt like something that was really 
felt and thought through, and I like that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It, I, I, uh, the, the songs are kind of earworms, but they're not the kind of earworms that when they're stuck in your head after you listen to them, that you're aggravated with it. It's it's nice to listen to over and over, yeah. which is is it's, uh, it's hard to find that because you'll find songs that are really catchy and really fun to listen to once, but once you listen to them a few times, they kind of it's like junk food. You don't want to eat anymore. But this, I think, this sticks with you in a good way. Yeah, it's the Chipotle of uh, pop music. Yes, it gives you uh, stomach distress, <laughs> explosive diarrhea. Here is who was that from Delight. Husker Du uh, was something that it was another moving car record. Yep. This one in particular, New Day Rising, and that song in particular. Um, my most vivid memory yeah, is driving, <laughs> driving nowhere, basically, and listening to it over and over. And um, that, and I would say um, Psycho Candy, which is coming later, it was the more than just straight punk. Um, there was this harsh um, noise, basically, that uh, scratched an itch that I that I had, and um, I would listen to it pretty much every day um, for for a stretch there. And um, the, the record has there's there's a well, John, you can you can say quite a bit about this record, I bet. <laughs> but um, you know, there's some songs that I would go to and listen to over and over and over, and some that I would sort of uh, not listen to as much. But just as a just the fact that it existed made me very happy. Oh yeah, I, this was like when I heard them, I was like, oh yeah, this is the music in my head. Um, <laughs> that wall of noise, I'm the same. I I love it. Um, that and such a huge huge sound them and the jesus and mary chain um yeah we this is another one i remember just driving around um with the windows down with this crank to like jet engine levels mm-hmm. um, <laughs> all of us like screaming along to i apologize and stuff yeah this is uh this is where the angst comes in 
I guess. Well, and and the anger, really. Mm-hmm. Um, Pat, we know your thoughts. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. You don't like the screaming. Sometimes you got to scream, Pat. Edward Munch has taught us all that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I've talked about this band enough on this podcast. Um, let's let's just listen to New Day Rising. Yeah, but like the the weird thing about Husker Du too was that like especially that song, it's kind of like punishing, but in a good way. Like there's there's like punishing techno type music that doesn't work for me, but that does for whatever reason. It's it's catharsis. Yeah, it's catharsis. Yeah, yeah which I don't get from the the techno, I guess. Um, now everything on this list that you guys picked. You listen to it over and over and over again when you're yeah. in high school, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, and same with me. And I just wonder what my high school life would have been like if it was like now, where it's so easy to listen to anything at any time. Would I still have listened to the same thing over and over again, or would I have like this kind of spread out experience of music, and it would be a different experience? I, I just wonder that because I, I don't know if everybody has like if everybody from our time period listens to the same thing over and over again or if they just kind of listen to it once and then did other things I don't know if that's the case yeah because I, I still I, listen to stuff over and over again yeah um, so do but, but yeah we're old we're stuck yeah, in our ways <laughs> who knows if that's why yeah <laughs> that's that's how we were trained as yeah. old dogs um, but yeah I think you're, I think you're right Pat I feel like um, it was hard it, it was harder to discover things and when I, <clears throat> when I discovered them it was like some kind of, uh, it was like a treasure hunt or something, you know, and, and you, even if you found a band that you liked, it would be not easy to necessarily get other albums by them. Yeah. Um, so you'd get one and you'd cling to it or I would. Um, I mean, even years later after, after things became a little bit easier to find, it was still b- before, um, what was it? Napster became ubiquitous, So it was easy to get everything. But I just remember in like the, the, the late nineties, early two thousands, I would go to the record store, the used record store once a week because I, I just wanted to get it used and I was cheap and all that. But I would go once a week to, to see if the, their stereo lab albums I didn't have. And that was pretty recent. So it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of a fast change. I mean, not that recent. That's 20 years ago, but still. Yeah, no, I, 
I, I mean, we did a whole kind of episode about um, the difference between um, record shopping back in our day and and now. Um, I, I was the same, Steve. Like it was a it was kind of a big deal, like to find a new band. Like a lot of times, I would just go buy if it wasn't something I read about in Cream. <laughs> I would look at album covers and sometimes make a yep. decision based on that. But or, or listening stations. Tower Records just have listening stations yes. set up for, and that was awesome. I speaking of speaking of Tower Records, they used to have a magazine, <clears throat> a free magazine called Pulse. I don't know if you do you remember that, yeah, but they I would sure have do. people. Yeah, people would list their like top ten Desert Island albums or whatever, and that's how I found out about the Kinks. Because Village Green Preservation Society was on everybody's Everybody, list, yeah. it seemed like. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, I'll check that out. And it's uh, interesting that you mentioned album covers because, um, so I never really paid attention to your next pick, John, the Go Betweens, in part because I was shallow enough to probably look at that album cover and think, huh, you know. Um, but <laughs> I love this. I love this record now. I, I mean, I only discovered it through the podcast here, but. Um, but yeah, I would never have touched that record based on the album cover. Yeah, well, and even go between <laughs> yeah, that album cover does not fit the music. I don't think I ever <laughs> looked at it before. Even go between's fans like call this a sellout, which is bizarre because they didn't sell any records um, here. But uh, no, this was so. This is kind of a cheat for me, but I know I you have one too, Steve. This was yeah. This came out the summer after I graduated, which was. Maybe even a more confusing and aimless time than high school. Um, and I, I just, this was on a hundred percent of the time in my car. Um, I think I had to rebuy the cassette because I broke it or something, um, listening to it so much. Yeah, it's just kind of a, it's like the, it's comforting in that it's melancholic, I feel like, which melancholy is comforting. Um, and Have you said what you're talking about yet? It, well, he mentioned it, 16 Lovers oh, six, Lane yeah. by the go-betweens. Um, and and it was just, it seemed more, I, I don't know, it sounds dumb, like more mature than a lot of the other music I was listening to, but not stuffy. Um, it was it was subtle, probably too subtle for, for the charts, but uh, I, I don't know what it was that I connected with in this but I did I had listened to them before anyway so um, I was bound to buy this anyway yeah 16 Lovers Lane which we did an episode on so I won't say much more but uh, any further thoughts Pat I know you like the album yeah I love I yeah every song in this album is great uh, Love Goes On is, is so wonderful and fun and yeah I like this album a lot yeah and I just I no go ahead so Steve. I I, I would have been unprepared to appreciate it in high school because I didn't, I was, you know, um, all boys Catholic high school and would go to like tragic, humiliating school dances to try to meet girls and <laughs> the, 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 you know, only succeeded in meeting, uh, and having a, a girlfriend like senior year of high school. And so, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Woo. Uh, and so this is 88. So I, I wouldn't have like the, I don't know. The the emotional texture of this record wouldn't have made any sense to me um, in high school, I don't think. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know why it did to me, I, but it did. Um, but here's here's a song that we didn't do on our episode, I don't think. Uh, uh, another deep cut, Clouds by the Go-Betweens. Away. 
Not even halfway through. Uh, oh, we're not taking a break. Okay, Elvis no, Costello's. But we're not halfway through yet. I said. I. Yeah. Elvis Costello. Yeah, I was thinking it's time to take a break, but I, I, I put together what you said in my head after I talked. So maybe I should think before I speak. Elvis Costello's "Spike" is another CD I stole from my brother, and it's something. Uh, I guess it's it's. At the time, it was the only Elvis Costello I know. I, I had listened to and list, listening to it now, it, it's a little bit different than the stuff that he did before and after, but it's, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a lot the same too, but it's, it's very Maryland. The whole CD is very melancholy. And uh, yeah, I don't think I have a lot to say about this. It's just a, it's a great, great CD. Yeah. With I, like political uh, conversation. And Veronica was, is a song we're going to listen to. That's a song in a previous episode I was forced to sing and I did it successfully. So now you get to see the other, ver- hear the other version. The inferior version. Yeah. I, I do definitely remember. Um, Cause this was, I was 19 when this came out. So I was like full on political mode. And I remember tramp the dirt down. It's about wanting to dance on Margaret Thatcher's grave. I thought that was such a great song. Um, Steve, were you ever an Elvis Costello fan at all? So, so not not really, and not not that I don't like. I mean, how can you not like Elvis Costello? But um, but it was another. He was another artist where like he was played so often that I didn't feel like I needed to have access to it on my own. You know, like it was on the radio all the time, or friends would be playing it or something. And so um, that was that was as much as I needed. It felt like, um, but uh, he writes great songs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, yeah, he was ubiquitous. You can't really, you couldn't avoid him, but he also had a lot mm-hmm. of like, a, 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 like up through, um, uh, what was the album? I mean, Imperial bedroom, his first album through then they were pre- pretty consistently, uh, great. Even the non single songs. So it's worth checking out anyway. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel like people don't talk about spike enough cause this is a great CD. Yeah, I, uh, I I think it was, again, probably the consistency problem where, like, you put out so much quality stuff after a while, people are like, oh, yeah, it's another Elvis Costello <laughs> album. But, uh, yeah, Veronica's classic. Everybody probably knows it. Well, that's uh, true, yeah. But we're going to play it anyway. Here you go, Veronica. Is it all in that pretty little head of yours? What goes on in that place in the dark? I used to know a girl and I could have sworn that her name was Veronica. Well, she used to have a carefree mind of her own and a delicate look in her eyes. These days I'm afraid she's 
Okay, Steve, your cheat, like mine. Okay, um, so Spaceman 3, uh, Playing With Fire, was a record that came out, uh, I think it came out the summer after I was out of high school. And this is another one of those uh, turntable, you know, play side A, play side B, play side A, play side B for me. Um, and uh, it was a gateway, I think. So I was finding, at this point, I was finding... Um, music by buying, you know, months old imported copies of New Musical Express and stuff <laughs> like that, you know, uh, from, from Tower Records, which I was at every day. And um, so I'm sure I read about Spaceman 3 and found or ordered the record. Um, and it sounded like what I hoped it would sound like. Uh, so it was droney and um, uh, you can sync into it. Some of the songs are repetitive, but they the texture changes as it goes along. And, and then some of them are just uh, like Revolution. They're, they're like Thrasher song. Revolution is on this record also. And so I like the, the distinctions. This is, this is the last record that, um, so this was Sonic Boom and um, Jason Pierce, who went on to do um, Spiritualized. Yeah, and so this, the, the Jason Pierce songs sound like Spiritualized and the Sonic Boom songs sound like classic Spacemen three um and uh there, there was a nice d uh, distinction in the, the songs uh, on this record and so this this is what led me to uh I, I, my bloody valentine and ride and loop later on but this is this is how i got there yeah definitely uh about the sound a lot of it too yeah um just like with my bloody valentine and ride and um uh, kind of immersive experience yeah and this one this one's kind of long drony um at the beginning and it kind of uh, it doesn't like really ramp up but it you know it, it gets it change it has changes in it so this uh this introduced uh or at least set the groundwork for me liking uh music where i would forgive corny lyrics for sake of the sound so basement <laughs> three uh, you know some of the lyrics are a little probably a little corny um and the jesus and mary chain for sure there's some there's some cringer lyrics in their oeuvre but um i could well I, I mean i just yeah jesus and mary and psycho candy anyway i could barely make out the lyrics so <laughs> sure the, uh, <laughs> but i've got a band like that on my list with the the lyrics uh are not great either but um i don't know pat did you listen i listened to it this song know, this week yeah yeah so I I had to, I would have loved it at the time. I like I love it now. It's 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 just that it's that sound that just fills your head up. I, I I always like it. So yeah, it's great. Yeah, and I I didn't get into them until uh, later until they were done already. So um, they weren't part of my teenage experience. But yeah, no. How can you go wrong? Uh, Spaceman Three. How does it feel? Here you go.
this is, I know how uncool this is, but I would be a liar if I didn't say that I was a big U2 fan in the 80s. And when I go back and listen, U2 were good in the 80s. Like, they weren't the U2 of today or the past 20 years or whatever. Um, they were a really good band. Uh, and my pick is The Unforgettable Fire, which was another, uh, my, my high school girlfriend and I bonded over. She was a big U2 fan as well. Um, listened to this a lot. And uh, we broke up right after With or Without You, the single was released. I remember that. So that song has a, a heartbreaking connotation in my mind. But this album, um, was after the first three albums, they were all kind of just standard, um, I don't know, alternative arena rock. And this one, they got into textures and stuff with Brian Eno producing. And it was much more uh, interesting musically i thought uh and some definite pieces of shit on this album but then also some really great songs um did either of you were you into you two ever i was i i don't know if i was into this album as much as the earlier stuff because that's what my brother had but i always loved it what i listened what i listened to but i, I was never a huge fan i just liked them a lot if that makes any sense it's not yeah I didn't have anything against them. And I still like them. I, I They're maybe not as good as they used to be, and that's fine. But I like that they're an old band that's, aside from the tour this year, that is constantly trying to do new things. And I, I, I respect that, even if their new things aren't as good as their old things. They're not Yeah, they're, they're not r- riding on their old popular... Well, they are, but they don't... They're writing different kinds of things. Yeah, they're not the Rolling Stones who, like, tour for 20 years off no album, but... Steve? Yeah, I would, I would agree, Pat. I, um, I, I've, I had, you know, a number of their records, and this one in particular, I liked, I think I probably liked the Eno production on it. Um, and uh, this song in particular, I liked a lot. And I probably got here, this is at the same time that I was a big, big country fan. Yeah, same here. Um, and they're both sort of like striving, heroic guitar music, you know, and, and, uh, so I've, I've always sort of uh, admired them for that. And I, I don't begrudge them being around and trying, you know, with yeah. the new record. And no, stuff. me either. It, it seems like, you know, the, the heart's in the right place and they make people happy and, uh, you know. Yeah, and they are still trying, which is nice. To, they don't have to, so. Um, yeah, but I, but I did like, I do like this song and, and this record. I yeah. definitely had it. This song is a cheat because I, I picked the uh, the live version, but it, it was... Released as a B-side and also on an EP at around the time. Um, I had that cassette EP, yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, bad, uh, the live version from The Unforgettable Fire. There you go.
Pat, we're finally up to the break after this. Jesus. Um, I was just reminded when uh, Steve talking about uh, tapes. So, so you got tapes from the library. I remember VHS tapes. I didn't remember music tapes coming from a library. I just, I don't know how that was economically feasible for them. Yeah. So they had the, the local library had cassette tapes. And so I got, uh, I think the first Ramon record I ever heard was pleasant dreams because they happened to have it on cassette and I read about <laughs> them. And so it wasn't, it wasn't exactly what, what I had read about <laughs> not what that album sounds like. And we also used to check out um, reels of eight millimeter uh, movies that they would have at the library. Really? <laughs> we had a projector. Um, again, it sounds like you're talking about carving things out of rock, but, but yeah, um, it, it, we would, we would check out and they'd be like some kind of, uh, you know, eight minute long submarine adventure or a <laughs> guy in a rubber suit stomping on, you know, with like some kind of shocky, you know, monster exploitation type stuff. And I, I, you know, it's a good point, Pat. Like, how, I, I guess the library is there to provide cultural information, but what's the angle on having these shitty eight millimeter <laughs> movies they'd rent to people who like, how many people had projectors in their house? Like nobody, I don't know. Anyway. And that percentage of people who had the projectors, how many people melted that film? Right. Yeah. Well, I, at my library, if they had, Music cassettes, I think it was probably stuff like the Hello Dolly soundtrack and things. I don't remember ever seeing anything cool. But um, anyway. I do remember cool stuff being at the library on CD, but it was – at least CDs last a little bit longer. Yeah. The thing about cassette tapes, I, I, cassette tapes, are they coming back? I mean, hipsters do some stuff on cassette tapes. I don't – it's one of those things where like, oh, I'm going to buy a VCR. and Like, I don't know. Why do you want – it's a weird type of nostalgia where you fetishize kind of um, shitty quality. I don't. I, yeah, like very inferior quality that was only only existed because of its size and how cheaply they were made. It was not a, a, an upgrade over vinyl. No one thought it was an upgrade. It was just something you could listen to in the car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even an upgrade over eight track, from what I understand. I've never listened to an eight track, but people tell me that would, had a better sound to oh, it. Cassettes were awful. The the sound quality was terrible on them. Although that's all I own, I had some records, of course, but uh, after a while, it was all cassettes for me. Just so easy. Yeah, I, I, I think I was starting to listen to like when I was in high school. It was right when CDs started to become popular, and everyone had CD players. So it was, I was on the edge of of having a lot of tapes, but I didn't end up having a lot of tapes. Cause, but looking back, like when I pick up a cassette tape, I'm just filled with nostalgia. So maybe that's why people do it. It's nice to feel happy about your past, but. I don't think nostalgia is that good, so I don't want yeah. any more tapes. Oh, well, anyway, we're talking about uh, the Sundays, reading, writing, and arithmetic. I, I a lot of the stuff on my list was stuff from my brother, but other the other way I got a lot of music because I couldn't figure out like I didn't have a, the record store was downtown. I wasn't that adventurous, and uh, like the record store in in the mall that was nearby was was Sam Goody, and they didn't really have. No, they suck. They didn't have the stuff that I realized I wanted. So I signed up for Columbia Music House. And you'd be surprised how much good music I got there, like the Sunday's album and Lightning Seeds. So I got all, all, like, I just went through the alternative list. I had no idea how it would sound. And I got lucky with a lot of the stuff. I also ended up with uh, one of the live albums. I forget what it was called. Oh, God. (laughs) Throwing Copper, Mental Jewelry. I don't remember which. And um, Happy Mondays, which is pretty fun. But I didn't didn't listen to the other things. And a Ramon CD. uh, I forget which one, too. But. 
none of the other things I got, I liked a lot of the other things, but I didn't listen to it nearly as much as, as this for one and a couple, I guess, uh, one of my other choices. Anyway, uh, this their songwriting was good, but her voice is so beautiful that I would listen to it over and over again and just be enamored. It's just a great CD. Yeah, they were kind of like the. Uh, I love her voice too, I, and the musically it was kind of like the um, the moodier side of the Smiths or something. Um, yeah, I had I had this and I had it on cassette, and um, yeah, her voice. I hadn't I haven't listened to them for quite a while, but I enjoyed going back and listening to it, and yeah, it's really. Um, it's really pretty uh, yeah. in a way. Yeah. It's, it's just really, that's, it's nice. It's rainy day music. I feel like. Yeah. I, I, uh, the perfect setting for me would be in some kind of a rental beach house somewhere, <laughs> like, you know, when you're chopping vegetables or something. I don't know, but it, it was, it was really nice. I enjoyed listening to it again. Yeah. And everybody knows the hit. Um, but Pat picked hideous towns. Um, what was the hit? I, I I didn't pick the one that's where I thought, the story ends. Okay, yeah, I yeah. didn't pick that on purpose because I, I I've heard that in other places. I just didn't know if it was a hit or not. Yeah, well, I don't I don't know if hits the right word. I I feel like it was a hit, but um, I you know who knows? I thought Robin Hitchcock was a hit. So um, yeah, let's let's give a listen to Hideous Town by the Sundays. So this, I guess we're going for the record on length for this episode um, because we're only halfway done. So let's take a very quick break, and uh, it'll be even quicker for you, listeners. We'll be right back. We had a comrade, a brave comrade. He could talk for whole days. But then he tried to be a hero Tried talking about Shanmiro To computers wearing earphones He almost died for conversation Hallucinations, good vibrations Van Dyke Park's great racing Steeplechasing, the Reformation Transubstantiation, Bram Stoker's creation The land of the Thracians and Right back to the start, it's gonna take some time and patience, but all the best things. And we're back uh, with 
the remainder of our list, which is going to begin with Steve. Yes. Yeah, so um, I don't know how I must have read about the dead Kennedys. Um, and of course, the name was was like, what the hell? And so uh, <laughs> they uh, this is so this predates this came out in 1980, Fresh Fruit for Riding Vegetables. This predates uh, high school for me, but um, it was big for me in high school. And I um, I carved the DK logo on the back of my latin textbook and was very proud <laughs> proud very proud of myself carrying it around you know so people could see how cool i was that, that i'd done that um and i you know i like the anger and the sense of humor and the 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 politics of it um i think the song that we're gonna play uh i think i picked the one that's oh, california uberalis which has you know, Jello Biafra, the lead singer, is really agitated at the idea of Jerry Brown, uh, the governor, then governor Jerry Brown, maybe becoming president. That was really upsetting for him. And of course, Jerry Brown is once again the governor of California. Um, and yeah, I, my friends and I really were were uh, the the political edge of this was something that was attractive, as well as just the screaming and the the humor and the sarcasm. Uh, yeah, kind of funny with uh, Reagan in office that he decided to attack Jerry Brown. <laughs> the worst, the worst threat to Jello was the. Well, there was there's a classic, you know, punks hate hippies, you know, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. I think that's where that was coming from. But yeah, no, uh, I I was never a huge fan, but I was um, I listened to him uh, like any good punk did back in the day, especially being from the Bay Area. Um. Pat, you got? Did you ever? Were you ever into the Dead Kennedys or? No, I, not really. Yeah, I, I think I was just happy to know the name Joel Briafra in the '90s that I knew that it was somebody. But other than that, I had <laughs> not much. Uh, yeah, I, I don't even think I've ever listened. I mean, I I know I have, but at the time, I don't think I did. Well, uh, let's get right into it then. Uh, California Uber Alice by Dead Kennedys. Here you go. I am Governor Cherry Brown. My aura smiles and never frowns. Soon I will be president. Out of power, I'll soon go away. I will be here one day. I will come and all of you. Your kids will be. This is, along with another one of my picks, this is like almost 
scientifically designed to be to appeal to teenagers. Uh, the Smiths, <laughs> Louder Than Bombs, which is an album that doesn't get much praise from Smiths fans, which is weird, I guess because it's a compilation. But mm-hmm. but they also did um, Hat Full of Hollow, which Smiths fans seem to have no problems with um, saying is cool. So I don't I don't really know. To me, it's better than The Queen Is Dead. Just uh, just as far as quality of songs and stuff, a um, bunch of singles from the Smiths uh, put together, and it flows really well. Um, and I remember the cassette and trying to read the lyrics in that tiny ass print that you would have on cassettes. Um, I think it was white, white on orange. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which makes it that's a even design. harder. Yeah. Um, Somebody to read something, you don't set it in white type on orange. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. There's a million great songs on this album. Um, I just picked one basically at random. Ask. It, I think it shows um, their strengths. Johnny Marr, of course, guitar player, um, and his arrangements, and uh, also Morrissey's voice and lyrics. Because uh, if it's not love, then it's the bomb that will keep us together. I don't even know what that means, but I thought it was really cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. What else can you say about the Smiths? I was 17 when this came out, so uh, louder than bombs. You two? Anything? Um, so I. Oh, go ahead, Pat. No, you go ahead. So this is a this is them, and I would say New Order, and for sure Joy Division um, were bands that I listened to in high school, but didn't um, really dive deeply into until I was in my 20s or 30s, I would say. Um, you know, I definitely had this record, some other Smiths records, and would listen to them, but they, they weren't um, they weren't the thing that I was really diving into. And, uh, you know, had some new order. Joy Division, I don't know if I even really listened to much, because... Um, uh, I had a few friends who were really into them and I couldn't appreciate, there was sort of a, um, they were too dour or that was my perception of them is they were too dour for me to really spend much time thinking about. Yeah, me too. In, in high school, it, they weren't even, uh, I, I mean, I knew them and I knew Love Will Tear Us Apart especially, but yeah, I didn't get into them until much later. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, now I have, I mean, I listened to the Smiths quite a bit. Same with the uh, New Order. Uh, what were you going to say, Steve? I mean, Pat? I, I have a similar experience where I didn't listen to them until I was older, but there's a major reason I didn't listen to them because when I was like 19, there was a cover of a, mag, a music magazine. I don't I think it was just like a local one in DC. And it was, it was well after Kill Uncle was out, but for some reason they were reviewing Kill Uncle and it just had the title of Kill Uncle and underneath it said, I hate Marcy. And I had never listened to the Smiths or Mar- Marcy, but I saw that cover and I was like, well, I shouldn't bother with them because that guy hates them. <laughs> <laughs> so like five or six years before I listened to them, it was really too bad because I would have enjoyed them very much. And I do. It's funny. That's good that you weren't easily swayed by the opinions of others. <laughs> Strangers. Uh, yeah, here, let's go into it. Here is Ask by the Smiths. Shyness is nice and shyness can stop you from doing all the things in life you'd like to. Shyness is nice and shyness can stop you from doing all the things in life you'd like to. So 
Seeds Cloud Cuckoo Land, another CD that came from Columbia House. Sight unseen, and it was awesome. And listen to it again, made me happy. Just, I don't know, just a nice sound. Uh, the song I picked, Pure, just the beginning of it, just brings me back to the first time I listened to it in my room with a CD player playing. Just, I don't know, just fun. Yeah, I think probably Steve, we probably heard this on Live 105 here. Um, mm-hmm. They played it all the time that's where i first heard it so to me like this is a hit another one that's like a big hit but i'm sure it wasn't really um no i love the lightning seeds they were uh well love's a strong word i like the lightning seeds um it was just kind of pure pop uh like alternative pop i guess you would call it and no mm-hmm. problem i had i yeah, I definitely had this and listened to it quite a bit and i like the the sonic i guess he's a producer and a musician um that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and um, this, I like the sound of it, in addition to it being uh, poppy. Yeah, it's got a lushness that's really nice. Um, yeah, let's just do it. Here is Pure by the Lightning Seeds, Path Pick. Express. So this was this came out um, eighty six. So I would have been fifteen, um, and I was running track, and I would take my Walkman and a few cassettes, some made, you know that I made. Like I, I taped the Dead Kennedys and whatever, and then the store bought Eleven Rockets Express, and I would listen to it over and over really loud before I'd go run track. And so um, it has this. There's something comforting about it to me. 
Um, and it was, uh, I, I like the, I like their sound and I liked the, the songs weren't all in one mode on this record. There were, you know, dreamy songs and, you know, driving songs and it felt like sort of a, an alternative rock, um, an entry point for me. Um, and I had always liked it for that aspect. Yeah. It's, I, I was surprised. Well, I, don't, I wasn't really surprised you picked this one, but like, I feel like the first album it had, uh, ball of confusion. Right. And then the next album mm. had, uh, no new tale to tell, which I considered like the big hits of the time, but this one didn't really have a song. Wait, this one doesn't have those ball of confusion. Wait, now I'm going to look. It's the ball of confusion is not on this one. Did I, I think it's hmm. on the first one. Maybe they hmm. put it on this as a re- oh, I wonder. reissue, I wonder. like a single version or something. Or yeah. Um, anyway, in any case, uh, no. This, but this song especially, I really like. It's kind of—I don't know if you guys knew uh, the band, the Wooden Tops. It kind of reminds me of that. The guitar to it, uh, just very frenetic and mm-hmm. brittle. Yeah, I like this one. Um, oh, well, you didn't even say what it was, did you? The song. Oh, uh, Yin and Yang, the Flower Pot Man, which is on the second side. And yeah, the 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 speed of strumming the guitar, I like a lot. Yeah, same here. I liked Love and Rockets. I mean, they they verged on bombastic, but I it was it was fun to me. They were a fun band. Um, Pat, any experience with these guys? Not till this week. Oh, Sorry. oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Even like, so like, I, I think, so alive I mean, and no new tale to tell. You weren't. Oh, oh, no. Kundalini Express, right? Was on this. Yeah, and that was like as close to a hit, but it wasn't as big as the other ones. Yeah. No, I think I recognize the name, but I might be confusing it with a comic book I saw in the past. So yeah, they they were named after the comic book, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Uh, all right. Well, shit. Let's listen to it. Uh, Yin and Yang, the Flower Pot Man, Love and Rockets, 86. Another one that um, senior year was in the car stereo constantly. Um, New Order Substance from '87, another compilation. 
just like my last one. Um, but this was all 12-inch single versions of New Order's songs, singles um, at that point. And uh, I don't know that I had any of their 12-inch singles. I, I know I must have had Brotherhood, maybe Low Life at that point. Um, I can't remember. But but um, I, it's possible I own Blue Monday because that was only came out as a 12-inch. But I, it might not have been until later. So anyway... Um, this one, um, and they re-recorded vocals for a couple songs, like uh, Temptation they did, and, and another one I can't remember right now. Um, but to me, this was like... This is kind of feel-good music, but also kind of not. And this is one I was talking about with dumb lyrics. Like, I don't think New Order's ever had great lyrics, necessarily. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know what... It, I think it was just the idea of... Uh, of such happy, dancey music made by people who seemed to be so depressed to me. And they were, they were like weird. They didn't appear in their videos and all kinds of, you know, it's kind of mysterious, some aura of mystery about new order for whatever reason to me, um, that I liked. And I, I don't remember if I picked this song from our substance episode. I might have, cause I like it so much ceremony, which is, was one of the last songs joy division did. Um, before Ian Curtis killed himself and this New Order version um, is the closest to the Joy Division sound that they did this in their first album, so I love it. Um, thoughts? Steve, we saw Peter Hook of the Light do this album live. Yeah, that was, that was great. Yeah. Um, if anybody gets a chance, to, he's still touring that show, so if anybody gets a chance to go to see him, it's definitely worth it. Yeah. Um, and it's the smallest venue you'll ever see those songs performed because New Order doesn't play, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, Close. But so, yeah. So this is like I was saying. Um, I you know New Order was around for me. I had a, a cassette of um, Brotherhood in particular. I listened to more often than the other stuff. Um, it was around enough that I didn't. I had their albums, but didn't listen to them a ton, um, and didn't really appreciate them. I would say until yeah, it was in my thirties. Um, and now I, you know, early new order in particular, I can't get enough of. So, um, it was around, but it didn't, it didn't dig deep at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I'd, I'd have the same experience because that was around they, new order songs would just be ever, they were, they were in movies and stuff, right? Yeah. They were pretty, yeah, pretty in pink yeah. and yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't dive deep. I, I, I mean, since then I have, but at the time I wasn't really. A New Order fan. Yeah, this is probably like the poppiest pick of mine. Um, but it worked for me going, again, through a rough, after a rough breakup, this was, I don't know what it did for me, but it, it helped me keep hanging on. So uh, let's listen to Ceremony.
All right, Pat, uh, another another album that we've done a podcast on for your pick. R.E.M. Out of Time. I, I don't know exactly why, but this... Well, I do know exactly why. It was, just, it was a, at a time when... I still love it. So, no, it's just, it just great music, and it it made me feel happy when I wasn't happy, and it made... it made Well, maybe, maybe feel happy is too strong of a word, but it made sadness less palpable. So, it made life better yeah and i, I listened that- to this over and over again like, especially losing my religion was my favorite song on the album and it was i guess the biggest hit yeah, oh yeah, yeah for sure and mm-hmm. and yeah because this album is it's infused with quite a bit of sadness i feel like yeah so, and that was per- perfect for me at the time and it's just uh this is one of those deals like rem was a pretty popular band i guess like i guess it had in in my school there was it wasn't. I wouldn't say no. Popular is too strong a word. It it had a following, and people who liked them really liked them. So, and I knew those people, but I didn't really get into the band until Out of Time came out, which was too late, according to those people. But still, <laughs> <laughs> that's silly. Yeah, I think when we did the the REM series, um, going back and listening to like this and Automatic for the People, which I never really, I hadn't really listened to much at all, you know, for a long time. Um, they stand up as really good albums. I mean, this one, like we talked about, has like Radio Song and Shiny Happy People, which I can fast forward through, but but the rest of it, it's very strong. Yeah. Uh, and for a major yeah. label band, it, it's it's uh, amazing that this this was a hit mm-hmm. to me, that they were even a major label band. But um, Steve, your thoughts on this album? Yeah, so I definitely had this and, and listened to it, and Losing My Religion in particular was one that I listened to a lot. There's something about it that uh, suggests listening to it again once it's over. There's something about the structure, the sound. I don't, I can't put my finger on it, but I, I that that makes sense to me. Um, and yeah, there were a couple songs that I just couldn't tolerate, um, and I would <laughs> I would always I would always skip them. Um, but the rest of the record was great, so. Um, whatever you know you can't if somebody makes an 85 percent great record then that's good enough you know (laughs) so yeah um yeah i I think i probably mentioned on the episode but i remember when this single came out uh excuse me prior to the album and i i thought oh this is a really good song but you guys are fucking idiots for releasing this as a single it's not gonna go nowhere Uh, so once again i knew nothing about (laughs) people's taste uh but here let's just play it everybody knows this song um losing my religion
Steve, shocked that you Ever- had this on I- your list. Wait, wait, everybody knows that song, but there's no way I'd pick any other song from that album to play. If you, I mean, you're forcing me to pick a song because that was like, at the time, was there was no other song that existed in the world when I first heard that song. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. Um, uh, okay, Psycho Candy, uh, Jesus and Mary Chain, tied with Darklands uh, because I was equally obsessed with both records when they came out. And um, Psycho Candy was something that it took... I heard about it and I'd heard about them uh, just shrieking feedback and melodies and, you know, concerts that ended after 15 minutes and riots and big <laughs> hair and, you know, uh, attitude that Oasis Turning basically. Turning their backs to the audience. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> which is an old, which is an old like uh, velvet underground avant-garde move. They, I mean, they stole everything that they were doing and kind of combined them in uh, interesting ways. And, but this was a record that I heard about and then got, and kind of liked, but wanted to like, like willed myself to listen to it. And then, and then at some point the, I cracked the code and then I, I you know, it, was, it wasn't work anymore. It was, it felt perfect to me, the balance of the shrieking and the, the, the melodies of the songs and um, just great. And then Darklands that came later in high school, they, they stripped off the shrieking feedback. And so it was more about the melodies um, but still, uh, I, I like the way they put, they, they really haven't changed in the way they put melodies together and they repeat lyrical bits through their entire career. And at times I've, I've been frustrated by that, but I've just kind of given, given in now. So, um, so I like, I like everything they've done, but these are the two that I really bonded to. Yeah. I, I, I was into psycho candy right away and I, like I remember specifically reading about them in cream magazine and, and going, Oh yeah, I have to hear this. Like this sounds perfect. And checking it out and being like, Oh, this is like, this is like the fucking beach boys, but with that who's do wall of noise thing going. So I was, I was in immediately. And I like, I think I've said before, I think feedback might be my favorite sound. So, <laughs> uh, that album was perfect for me. And then Darklands, I also loved, although I did miss the feedback. I have to say, at the time, mm-hmm. now I, I appreciate it more. I and I've I so as friends know that I like feedback and noisy rock and bands get recommended to me that use feedback and distortion all the time. And I don't, I still don't think I've heard a band use it better nope. than on Psycho Candy. I think this is this is it really. We also saw them live for the the Psycho Candy. Not the original Psycho Candy, but the Psycho Candy reunion tour, mm-hmm. um, which was great. And we're going to see them in an, in another month or so. We are again. Yeah. We are so. Um, <laughs> Pat, sorry, I mean a That's, monopolize. This is another one that I never really dug into, but what I've heard, I've liked. So really, even with the feet. Oh, right. You don't mind noise. You just don't like screaming. Exactly. Yeah, and there is melody there, like. It's not like it's just noise. There's melody to every song. Well, every song might be pushing it, but there's a lot of melody going on <laughs> on on Psycho Candy, and especially on uh, on Darklands. So, um, yeah, yeah, this is a great another great high school album. I feel like, um, and you picked Never Understand. Great yep. song. Uh, let's give it a listen. Is 
cassette I definitely wore out um, so much that I don't know if you guys have ever done it where like the tape starts flaking off and shit um, mm-hmm. yeah uh, I listened so this came out when I was I had to be in ninth grade which was still junior high for me but um, but to me I talked to you a little bit about this Steve the replacements were they were basically classic rock but with all the shitty parts taken out and <laughs> much smarter like no dumb guitar solos again um lyrically and and musically um very emotionally direct in a way that you know i couldn't that was my thing in high school like a lot of the rock guys were very into just this shit like especially the musicians who were like oh eric clapton i'm like eric clapton has not done a single thing worth listening to in my opinion um maybe the yardbirds but you know that kind of that kind of established classic rock canon was not my thing. Um, I never really related to it, and um, and this was like a brand new take on it because you couldn't call it you couldn't call it punk. It wasn't really punk. You couldn't call it hardcore. Um, it was just rock, but but so much better. And uh, this song, Unsatisfied, that I picked, um, I heard it once, and I was like. Uh, this is going to be my theme song for the next 20 years. Uh, <laughs> and it was. But uh, we did also did an episode on this. But uh, your thoughts, Steve, replacements? So I I really liked the uh, like smart and smartass aspect to them. Yes. Like he's obviously, the lyrics are really intelligent, but he also isn't afraid to just sort of fuck around, which is fun. And the band, too. And, you know, they could obviously... Not that I had a high premium on people being able to play, but um, that they could play, but they also were sloppy, and that was fun, especially in high school. Yeah. Um, you could could relate to that. So I listened to them a lot. Yeah. Um, this, this was like, to me, this is like the spirit of, this is the essence of rock and roll. Like, no matter who you want to name, like Chuck Berry, the Rolling Stones, Little Richard, whatever, this was it for me. They captured it. Um, yeah. Pat. Didn't listen to it later. Loved it later. Yep. I missed out. I missed out on a lot of stuff in high school. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> it's all there. It's all there when the time is right. You know, everything's there. Yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm discovering stuff all the time. Older stuff. Oh, yeah. So. Um, all right. Well, let's get on with it. Unsatisfied replacements.
wish I kind of wish I would have switched this one and the last one for you, but. <laughs> so public enemy it takes a it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. I got this freshman year of high school, and I got it as a tape. It's one of the few few uh, records on this list that I got as a tape and not a CD, and I listened to it in my little tape deck with headphones on for two or three years. I just <laughs> I don't know it. I mean, I wasn't the audience, but I loved it. And uh, Chuck D, Chuck D is such a great rapper. I mean, I haven't listened to any Public Enemy for a long time, so I kind of forgot how good he was because I listened to it in preparation. Well, I just listened to it, list trying to think of what what I should include in my list, and I knew I listened to this a lot, and I just wanted to to see how it held up, and it really, really holds up. Just his voice is so strong, and his lyrics are. Yeah, his lyrics are really, like, his rhymes are dope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's... Yes, Siri yes, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is, yeah, this is classic by any standard. This is, like, kind of rewriting. This changed hip-hop, for sure. And it, but, it, I mean, it sounds so modern now. You listen to it now, yeah. it doesn't sound like it's it's from the 80s. It sounds like it's from two years ago. It's, yeah, no, that's, that's what I mean. They They, like... This was the break between, you know, Run DMC and LL Cool J and, and mm. that earlier stuff. And now, yeah, it's still this. And I think Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys from next year both still sound modern. I could do without some Flavor Flav and I could do without sure. some of the anti-Semitism. But other than that... <laughs> I don't know that yeah. the anti-Semitism necessarily made it to the album. It's, though, not, it? it's not on the album. Yeah, but yeah. The, yeah. Well, I think the anti-Semitism sings out to me just when he name checks Farrakhan. That's all. That's all that needs to happen. Okay. Sure. <laughs> so, I although was actually, a great, great song that he name checks Farrakhan in. So, <laughs> I mean, I was th- I was kind of questioning myself. I was like, maybe Farrakhan wasn't that bad a dude, but then because I could, you know, I couldn't remember, but he was a pretty bad dude. Yeah. 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 Um, and now he's now he's in Scientology, so he's even better. Oh, anyway. Yeah, he, oh, he recommends God. everyone in the nation of Islam to to uh, to audit themselves and, and read Dianetics. <laughs> so, uh, but this was this was an album I loved, and it was another one where the people I hung out with didn't really care about. I mean, I had friends that were listening to Bon Jovi, and uh, I don't know what they're listening yeah, to. I Def know that was an example of something I didn't like, but uh, yeah, this was something I couldn't really share with people, and oh, my dad hated it. Oh, of course, not in that. Not in like a, a racist kind of way, just in that's noise. Yeah. What are mm-hmm. you doing? Mm-hmm. I I think I can honestly say that this was the album that got me into hip hop. Like I the Run DMC and, and that earlier stuff I kinda liked, but this this one was like, Oh, this is this is punk. That's exactly what this is. It's punk. That's how it made sense to me. I, I was this is freshman year of uh, college for me. My roommate had it, and uh, he had Boogie Down Productions and uh, also uh, great. Oh, cool, Jay. Yeah, it's, it's a great record too. And so he was the guy who he wasn't trying to educate me, but that was the effect of it. And um, it sounded this sounded like punk to me, um, and the uh, the the density of it, and just how smart and angry at the same time, and. Um, it was great. And the density also made sense to me. And re- I, I only found this out later, but I was really into my bloody Valentine at this point. And they were very into public enemy. Like they, they were stunned by the, you know, the, what's it, the bomb squad or whatever the production yeah, yeah. crew. Um, so, um, I thought that was cool that, that 
that there was some connection there. Um, yeah, I, I can. I didn't even know that, and that makes total sense to me that my bloody Valentine would be into them. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's just, it's just great, and I love that your dad didn't like it. This, I mean, that, that's another great thing about music back then. You're not going to do that now, because um, everybody now their parents grew up with gangster rap and you know death metal <laughs> and shit. But uh, yeah, you could still shock people with this stuff. Well, I mean, earlier rap could it could kind of you know it it had more of a like like will smith or something like that anybody could kind of well it's not my thing but i can see why you'd like it but public enemy was just it was so alien to people from a previous generation it didn't make any sense yeah lines were drawn um yeah you picked my second or third favorite song on the album um Sorry. Which is still high praise because this album is great. Let's take a listen to you. Don't believe the hype. It's a new thing. Check out this. I bring all the rope below the level because I'm living low next to the base. Come on. Turn up the radio. They're claiming I'm a criminal. But now I wonder how. Some people never know. The enemy could be the friend guardian. I'm now a hooligan. I rock the party and clear all the madness. I'm not a racist. Preach the teacher. Because some they never had this. Number one, never wanna run about the gun. I wasn't licensed to have one. The minute they see me, fear me. I'm the epitome of public enemy. Used abuse without clues. I refuse to blow a fuse. They even had it on the news. Don't believe the hype. Don't, don't, don't believe the hype. Don't, 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 don't believe the hype. Yes, was the start of my last jam. So here it is again, another death jam. But since I gave you all a little something that I knew you lacked, they still consider me a new jack. All the critics, you can hang on my hold the rope, but they hope to the Pope and pray it ain't dope. The follow-up Farrakhan, don't tell me that you understand until you hear the man. The book up the new school rap game, writers treat me like Coltrane, insane. Yes to them, but to me, I'm a different kind. We're brothers on the same mind, unblind, caught in the middle end, not surrendering. I don't rhyme for the sake of riddling. So claiming that I'm a smuggler Some say I never heard of ya A rap burglar False media We don't need it, do we? It's fake, that's what it be to you Dig me Yo, Terminator X Step up on the stand And show these people what time it is, boy Don't, 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 don't believe the hype I assume that's the biggest hit from the album I feel like, uh, um What's it called? God damn it, why am I The Farrakhan one what is it? Why can't I think of the name of it Right at this moment? Um, bass, how low can you go? Death row, what a brother know. <laughs> Once again, back is the incredible Ryan Animal, Young Cannibal D, public <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said freeze. <laughs> and I got numb. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, bring the noise. Jesus, it took me a while. Sorry to get to the chorus. I thought that was the biggest, but maybe don't believe the hype. I don't know. Um, yeah, great song. Um, great album steve ah the ramones okay so so my gateway of the ramones was a a cassette tape of one of their least great albums from the public library and i kind of worked my way up to um so this is a ramones the first record and rocket to russia i would say um were the two i listened to the most in high school and these predate high school um coming out in high school for me so the kind of cheating sticking these in here but the ramones were so big for me that um, I went to go see them at, uh, uh, indeed, John One Step Beyond. I went and saw them. And I saw them every chance I got, but it must have been an all-ages show because I was underage. And I 
went to the garage and took a hacksaw and ripped the, the knees out of the jeans that I was going to wear. And, you know, <laughs> just, I was in, I, I was, I was in deep. And, um, and how was the show? The show was amazing. And I, I think I've never been as sweaty. I mean, it was just, it was one of those things where everybody was. Oh, Steve. Oh, <laughs> I, I lost you for a sec. Sorry. You said, oh, every- oh, I heard, I heard you the whole time. Oh, okay. Anyway, just it was it was just everybody was smacking into each other, but it was a, it was a good it was a good thing, you know. And yeah, um, I I remember those shows, yeah. sure. So that was yeah, the Ramones. Well, how can you? I, I'm kind of surprised because um, did you have cable at all, Steve? When you were because I remember watching Rock and Roll High School um, on cable when I was like nine. So I loved it, and I loved the Ramones. Um, so, I don't think so, I saw yeah. that until high school. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, I didn't know, I wouldn't have known to watch it even if it was on because I didn't <laughs> know what the Ramones were and I wouldn't watch a movie called rock and roll high school <laughs> deliberately. Um, That's exactly. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> never seen it because at, in high school, I just wouldn't have watched it. Yeah. <laughs> But I did like, like the rock and high school. Uh, yeah, I, that's not that's not my high school experience. Is rock and roll <laughs> high school. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Pat Ramones. I I had in uh, from that Columbia House Records for a penny. I got Ramones Mania, and I loved it. That was my <laughs> Ramones experience, which is a compilation album with. Uh, I'm looking at the list now. It's just stuff from all over the place. There's a few Rocket to Russia songs and. Teenage lobotomies on it, and I want to be sedated. All their, all the things you'd think of. Yeah. yeah. Beat on the brat. I think beat on the brat's the one that I really liked because it was so. <laughs> I mean, a lot of simple rhyming. Yes, a, a lot of their songs, like we said before, they're they're like my standard for like s- dumb on the surface, but really smart underneath. Um, yeah, um, we're a happy family. I always, always made me laugh. The line about eating refried beans. Um, but anyway, Steve, the song you picked is oh, Blitz, Blitzkrieg, Bop. The it's just um, it's like a piece of sculpture or something. I mean, just the way this thing sounds and how it kicks off the record, and I I never get tired of it. Yeah, me either. It's a little. It's one of those perfect songs. I feel like. Um, yeah, let's give a listen. You should all know this, uh, but you're hearing it again. Blitzkrieg, Bop. So this came out, 
This came out uh, the year before my big breakup, while I was still dating my high school girlfriend, but it's one I went to immediately after the breakup. Um, Pat's favorite Husker Du album that we've done so far. Uh-oh, we lost somebody. Hold on. Pat got lost. You still there, Steve? I'm here. Okay, uh, give me a sec. I'm going to pause it. All right, we got Pat back. Uh, yeah, so, and this is like, obviously I was going to have Husker Du on my list. This is not my favorite. This may be my fourth or fifth favorite Husker Du album, but this is the one that definitely saved my life at the time um, and got me through. It's a pretty good, well, I guess all their albums are probably pretty good breakup albums and depression albums. Um, and, and that it's always good when you're depressed when, the person who's the music, the depressing music is screamy. Uh, that's very, that I always found that very helpful, um, uh, loud and yeah. Uh, but this song that I picked, uh, is not, it's a, it's an acoustic one, uh, that we didn't do on our episode, uh, too far down, which is specifically about being suicidally depressed. And, uh, at the, uh, at that, maybe at this point still, um, it was the, the first song i heard about about depression in a real way um that wasn't like morrissey where there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek shit going on or whatever it's just hey i'm depressed i might want to kill myself um and the music fit it and uh and it it comforted me that somebody else understood um which is a big thing in high school i guess uh until i heard uh big star third which is another album that to me is all about depression and having a breakdown, um, even though it's not specifically, that's just the way it sounds to me. Uh, yeah, this this one really hit me um, too far down. But uh, I'll let you guys talk. Who's Gerdu, Candy Apple Grey, major label debut, any thoughts? So this was an album that I listened to more in college, freshman year of college. Um, and I... The, the depth of feeling that you got from too far down wasn't something that um, I could dial into then. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't I don't think we've we we haven't shared quite the 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 same experience, but it makes a lot more sense to me, you know, as a as an older an older gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who who's <laughs> you know like the there's the the more mileage that I that I've gotten <laughs> the, the the more it makes sense to me. Um, and uh, this wasn't the my go-to album for them, but it, the, they're all they're all good. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Pat, you know I'm a big fan of Bob Mould when he's not screaming. Yeah. So you're down with this one. Yeah. You. Yeah. I'm you, too far down. You picked. Uh, you picked uh, hardly getting over it uh, when we did our episode, which is just as depressing as this song, um, and also acoustic. So. Um, Anyway, I've explained enough, I think, and the song is pretty self-explanatory anyway. Oh, I do want to say I like that it starts off with, uh, like, dogs barking and, and, like, slide whistles that sound like (laughs) cuckoo clocks. So (laughs) it's all very fitting and cool. Um, Here is Too Far Down. Just go 
All right, we're at the last one. Um, Pat, I, I, I just want to warn you, I don't have anything good to say about this. but um, I knew it when I put in a list. Yeah. I was ready for it. Um, I, I do want to hear um, what it meant to you at the time. So, uh, Unlike you, when I was depressed, I didn't want to hear screaming, and this is the kind of music I listen to. And I, I still like it, even listening to it. Sure I it is. Oh, I'm, yeah, thanks. Edie Brickell and New Bohemians shooting rubber bands at the stars, another CD I stole from my brother. Um, yeah, this is just, listening to it now, I still get, like, tinges like this. My gut hurts from being so sad just listening to these songs because they just make me super sad. And they pretty much make me feel how I felt when I first heard them. And I think her lyrics are ridiculous and silly, but that was exactly what I wanted in high school. And, uh... I like her voice, and I just I like the style of music, folky, I guess. So that's it. Yeah, I would say um, hippie bullshit, but you know, folk works. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I didn't I I didn't really interface with it other than when it was on the radio. But now I'm kind of curious to go back and listen to it with the the subtext you've just given, Pat of. Uh, uh, coming to it for the the way that it made sense to you is intriguing to me. So I, I, I'm interested to go listen to it again. Yeah, I, I mean, I might give it a try. I think, like, the lyrics being goofy, it's not like we were just talking about the Ramones lyrics being goofy. Like, she means this stuff, which is yeah, kind of scary to me. But, um, <laughs> but there's, it's, I mean, there's still, like, the lyrics, I, I forget, maybe it's in the wheel, the, the lyrics where there's someone just like you, and it's, it, was, it was like a pleasant kind of, like the like uh, like I guess hippies right where it's the, it's the person you meet that just has these these crazy happy happy thoughts about the world that that make make you feel a little bit better but still the, the actual music in the songs were were kind of like I I thought it was just uh, uh it just touched me in a certain way that just makes me sad yeah I yeah but in I, that, that touching that you know you don't you don't want to touch it but when you touch it it feels awful but good at the same time oh that's interesting yeah i mean i i that wasn't my experience of of their music but i mean i can give it a try if maybe maybe they have instrumental versions (laughs) (laughs) her voice is part of what i like too I, i do think she has a good voice i i know i found it i mean i remember at the time i found it kind of sounding affected her voice to me but i think it's just because she's from texas and she has like a bit of an accent um and i'm also, curious 
I, I didn't. I haven't heard any of it, but I'm curious what the Steve Martin and Ida Burkell stuff sounds like that they toured together with. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. I was trying to remember. She I, she married somebody. Paul Simon. Uh, Paul Simon. Well, Paul Simon. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not going to rip on your thing. It just wasn't. It 100 was not. Oh, my I was. Thing. I was 100% prepared to be ripped on for, for this choice. <laughs> I knew when I put it in there. Philosophy is not a smile on a dog. It's actually a complex <laughs> well, system of the study of uh, ideas and but thought. It's also it's also a smile on a dog. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> but you didn't you didn't pick that song uh, in any case. Uh, what what was it about this song that you did pick? I I think it was just the oh I I do like that it's called the wheel and the music and it feels circular to me and always felt that way when I listened to it, it just felt like I was spinning in a on a um the a merry-go-round not a merry-go-round what's the thing at the playground called Ferris wheel yeah merry-go-round that is no the playground the thing you spin on it's not I don't know the spinny thing at the playground <laughs> anyway I always felt <laughs> like I was merry-go-round I, I was on the spinny thing at the playground when I listened to this song it just kind of goes and goes and goes and uh yeah and just, when I hear the start of this song, I just feel that sadness that I felt at the time. I, and it might just be a nostalgia thing, but I also think it's it's a well-crafted CD. Okay. So. Yeah, I haven't given the full CD a listen, so I, I'll make an effort for you, um, since you've made such an effort to watch The Wire for me. <laughs> um, let's listen to your pick, The Wheel by Edie Brickell and New Bohemians. made it this might be our longest episode ever um especially once i insert the audio um but so let's just jump right to recommendations asians 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 um steve guest you got one sure so um the documentary i am not your negro the james baldwin documentary is playing in town and it's it's great um it's it's something that helped uh uh, if you any listeners to the podcast know how you guys feel about Trump and I hate him equally. And so um, it's it's been um, it, it felt good to have something that uh, are to articulate reasons why Trump is shit, but not specifically structured completely around that be out now. And um, there was one thing in particular, there's a, a Baldwin quotation where he, he says, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And that helped me make sense of, like, maybe we needed this 
terrible recognition of how misogynistic and racist and uh, uh, amoral, you know, things, things are in order to have everybody else kind of wake up. But I think feel like there's more of us than there are of them. I think so. And, and, and I think, uh, trying to hold on to some ray of optimism here. And I feel like now that we've faced, uh, pretty frontally how deep some of the poison is, maybe we can finally work harder to counteract it. And I don't know, I'm still, I'm still optimistic that things are so bad that they will get better now that we recognize how bad they could be. And I am not your Negro kind of fed into that idea for you. Yeah. So Baldwin, I read a lot of him in, in high school and hadn't, uh, hadn't read much recently, but, um, coming away from the documentary, um, you know, I ordered the library of America collected essays and I'm reading through that again. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I get up on my soapbox for a minute, but, um, yeah, really it, it's always that quote you said is that's America, right? Like we, we need to, especially white men, you need to shut the fuck up and listen to other people. Like your experience is not the same for everybody and, and the same rules don't apply. So, um, instead of getting defensive, which when you get defensive, it, it always just means you're wrong. It's the wrong response. Uh, listen and try to understand. Um, anyway, that's my soapbox moment. Kind of sounds like something a hippie would say. (laughs) No, a hippie would say philosophy is a smile on a dog, Pat. (laughs) Um, Damn it, I had a good one all week that I'd just forgotten. Um, So I will recommend um, Love Season 2 on Netflix. Um, Much better than Season 1, I thought, because I think Gillian Jacobs' character in Season 1 was extremely off-putting with no context, and in this one, uh, she's better. And Paul Rust is funny. So, um... That's I'll all I got. Finish I, season one. Yeah, unless I, unless I can magically remember what my other one was, uh, that'll be mine. It's too bad because I, I do I like everybody in in love, but and I didn't hate the episodes. It wasn't something I wanted to jump in and watch the whole thing. So I've, I'm only like halfway through the first season. Yeah. It wasn't like the Kimmy Schmidt where I couldn't wait to get to the end. Yeah, well, yeah. I couldn't. That sounds wrong, but I really enjoyed watching them. Anyway, uh, my recommendation. I don't know how popular this guy is, but. Uh, a hip hop artist called Bus Driver. Oh yeah, Bus Driver. Oh yeah, sure. Been oh, around yeah. a long time. Oh, sorry. I guess I shouldn't recommend it. Everybody knows. Anyway, <laughs> I had I just came across them recently, and it, it's awesome stuff. I, the, the song that really dragged me in is called Me Time with the pulmonary pal- palm set. I don't know how to say that, but anyway, he's really good, dense, and uh, great. Uh, I don't know how to say it when you when you talk really quickly, but in his raps and uh through him i found an artist called buttress another good oh, uh, hip-hop artist not familiar so with worth, buttress so worth looking for i so, did uh, sorry i did remember my other one um which is the magnetic fields 50 song memoir uh if you're a magnetic fields fan you're gonna like it i think it's the best thing he's done since uh 69 love songs i think it's kind of been diminishing returns since then but this is another great one and it's five CDs, um, 50 songs, one for each year of his life, and it's all over the place musically, 
That's uh, awesome. I didn't know about that. Just like every yeah, like everything he's. I think he's must be better. Every album he's done since for the last like eighteen years has been a concept album. But I think he maybe he's better when he's put under pressure to do a huge <laughs> concept like this. Yeah, because I, I I've liked all everything though. I I I just. I don't see what you're saying. Is it another case of the consistency, or do you, have you had magnetic fields of albums that you just haven't liked at all? I, uh, like the the not, one with I, Andrew and Drag is awesome. Not that I haven't liked at all, but uh, that I haven't liked as much. Um, like Distortion, okay. I thought was not. There was nothing on there that I really needed to listen to um, again. And yeah, I don't know. Anyway, but uh, Fifty Song Memoir is good. In any case, I'm really curious to hear to hear that. Yeah, I like the way his brain works. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Well, consider it heard, Steve. <laughs> um, all right, Pat, spiel. Oh, write to us at popculturecontinuum at gmail.com if you'd like to be on the show, if you'd like something for us to talk about, or if you'd just like to say hello. Uh, like us on Facebook, and rate us highly on iTunes. You can write a review if you like. You don't have to. You can write terrible things as long as you rate us highly. And most importantly, or I think the iTunes thing is most importantly, is. but also very importantly, tell your friends to listen. Mm-hmm demand um thanks for coming on steve yeah it was, that was, was fun, fun. Idea. yeah yeah fun. yeah you just keep coming Great. up with those ideas steve you can come back anytime it saves awesome. us well you, work. you can come you can come back anytime if you, if you don't have an idea if you want us to come up with something that's true but dude let's try cool. to get him to come up with ideas for us yeah but it's <laughs> commander pop culture that's true uh, all right uh this has been a long one so i'm gonna cut it out uh until next time goodbye everybody goodbye